turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And what we're going to talk about tonight, today, is one of my favorite topics. Just the nature of God. Who God is and how God is and how we relate to him. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you're using the Bibles found in our pews, it's going to be on page 543. And it says in verse 1, it says, So it was, as the multitudes pressed about him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, or Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, or Peter's. And asked him to put out a little bit from the boat. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. Two things I see about Jesus in just those first few verses. Number one, he's always looking and he's always teaching, right? Jesus came to teach, to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to speak the word of the Lord. I love that God has given us his scriptures so that we know exactly who he is. And exactly what he wants. I've told the story a number of times that when I got engaged to Pam many years ago, man, is it flying by, that I got engaged to her and then a few months later I got on a plane to go to England. And uh, I spent a semester over there and the internet was really spotty where we were and it cost a fortune to make international calls and so we didn't talk very often and so she's busy planning a wedding and I'm busy just having fun over in England at Bible College like that was just a blast but the only way that we really could communicate with one another was through letters it was old school man and and let me tell you for her to be able to hear from me via letter for her to read my handwriting God does do miracles apparently but but we would write each other letters and I can tell you when I would get back Back from classes or whatever, and there was, there was the mail sitting on my bed or wherever I found it when somebody handed me and said, hey, you got mail. I couldn't wait to tear into that letter. I wanted to know what was going on back home. I wanted to know what was Pam thinking, what was Pam feeling, what's going on. She would write to me about some of the wedding plannings. Hey, when the internet's working, jump on this site, see if you like this. We were thinking about this venue. Here's what happened with your sister. Here's what happened with my brother. Here's what's going on with this. And what I got to know was not just the facts, this is what's happening, but I got to hear Pam's heart in that. I got to see who she was and what was going on in there. I got to see the very nature of the woman that I was going to marry. And so even though there were three, 4,000 miles and a giant ocean in between us, these letters showed me exactly who she was and what she was thinking. I think one of the hardest parts of Christianity, especially for my friends here who were born into it and grew up in the church, who never had this amazing experience with God like the before and after, I think one of the hardest parts is we believe that God is real. We know who Jesus is, but he seems so far away sometimes, so hard to hear. How do I have a relationship with this God? One of the things that frustrated me the most as a kid was when people would say, it's not religion, it's a relationship, and just leave it sitting there. I understand that now. 
But back then, how do you have a relationship with a God that you don't see with your eyes, that I don't always hear with my ears? Like even my brother, when I see him, I mean, I'm 40 years old. And when I see my brother, one of the ways I say I love you is still to just punch him in the arm. Like there's something like physical, right? There's something about, I'm a very physical guy. Like I, I you know, let's hug it out, man. Like, let's go. But how do you do that with Jesus? <laughs> you know, like where, where are you at, Lord? Right? It's, it, it can be a challenge. And so he gave us these letters, 66 of them, that tell us exactly who he is and what he's like, that give us instruction for righteousness and godliness, that the man of God may be complete, lacking nothing. When I'm in his word, I can see who he is. And he made it even easier what we just celebrated with Christmas when he became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's why there's four books dictated or that are dedicated just to the life of Jesus. Because if I see what Jesus does in this situation, I can understand this is how the Father does things. Because Jesus came to do the will of his Father. If I study how Jesus is in certain situations, how he responds and how he reacts, I can understand the very heart, the very nature of God because of the letters that he sent us. Jesus came to teach the word of God because the word of God is where you'll find the heart of God. And when you find the heart of God, you'll learn the will of God. Says so Jesus came. Here's the other thing I see about Jesus. He saw a couple of boats and so he got into one of them, <laughs> right? Jesus doesn't always wait for an invitation. That's some privilege that you have when you're God, right? I remember when I was a kid watching what my dad would get. Like, I had to ask permission to get certain things. Like, am I allowed to have a cookie? Am I allowed to have ice cream? And every once in a while, my dad would throw out that, well, when you're the dad, you can do it too, right? And you know what? I say the same thing to my kids. Well, how come you get to, when you're the dad, when you're paying the mortgage, you can make the decisions on this house. In the meantime, when you're God, you get to just get into whatever boat you want because it's your boat anyway. Anyway, you own it all. But here, here it is. Jesus gets into the boat, and Peter, he's there busy washing his nets because he's been fishing all night, and he's cleaning his nets up. And so he gets back into the boat, and he pushes out just a little bit so that Jesus could teach. I always think of the ocean and how those waves come crashing in. And it's like, how did anybody hear Jesus in this? I've never been to Israel, but everybody says that it's like this natural amphitheater where I can talk just conversationally, and everybody can hear clearly Someday I'll go, and then I'll be able to come back and say, it's true what they said. In the meantime, I'm just going off what the Bible says and what people tell me. Jesus gets in the boat, and he spends a little while teaching. Put yourself in Peter's shoes for a minute. Now, we know a little bit about Peter because of what the scriptures have given us, right? We know Peter, you know, he would puff his chest every now and then. Peter, you know, you know Peter's sitting there and he's, he's trying to look like an attentive student at this point. Like, yes, it's a very good teaching you have there, Jesus. But we also know he's busy looking over at James and John like, you see whose boat he's in, right? <laughs> we know a little bit about Peter. Peter struggled with pride. Peter, like, I guarantee it doesn't say it in the scripture, I guarantee guarantee it. Peter liked the fact that Jesus was in his boat. In fact, this was about to be the story 
that his grandkids would be rolling their eyes when they hear, because here comes grandpa telling them, did I ever tell you about the time that Jesus, the most famous person in the world at the time, mind you, chose my boat to be in, right? Like you, if you know Peter, you can see that this was good. He would have been stoked that this is the boat that Jesus chose. In fact, I must be something pretty special if Jesus chose my boat. And so Peter, kind of glowing, pretty excited, been up all night, so he's a little bit tired, but that's all right. I'm going to get to spend some time with Jesus here, and then he's going to go his way, and I'm going to go mine. And so the teaching comes to an end, and Peter's thinking, i got a roast in the oven, Jesus. It's good that the teaching's coming to the end, right? And Jesus says to him in verse 4, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for the catch. Jesus wasn't done. The message had been preached. The word had been heard. But Jesus wasn't done. Jesus saw what he had in store for Peter. You know, David said in the Psalms, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Our son, Caleb, was born four months ago. That was a difficult pregnancy, and so we had several ultrasounds while they were watching to make sure that everything was okay. And so for eight months, we got to watch as this little bean grew into this little human, and we got to watch, and he was just a little punk. Every time they would take his picture, he would like pull his leg up over his face or have a hand right there, and that hasn't stopped. He still just constantly has his hand in his mouth and all that, but I can tell you, we got to watch him grow. We got to see him shaped. We got to see just this absolute miracle as this little guy is being prepared. And that's part of what it's talking about when he says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But the psalmist goes on to say every one of your days was written in his book before even one of them came to be. If God made you, then he knows what he made you for. If God sees every one of your days, then he knows how he wants to use those days and those experiences to shape you. Peter would have been perfectly content if Jesus had got on the boat and went on his way right there, how sad would it have been if that's the only Peter and Jesus story? But Jesus saw so much more. Jesus knew the future. Jesus knew this is the one. Later on, they would be at that same lake after Peter had denied Jesus. And Jesus commissions him go and feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then go and feed my sheep. He gives a command. Right here, Jesus gives a command. Launch out into the deep. Go, let down your nets. One of the struggles that I used to have when I didn't understand, it's not that I didn't understand. I knew what people were trying to say with religion versus relationship. I hadn't experienced would be a better way to say it. I believed fully well that my parents, that Pastor Ken, that Pastor Pat, that these these people had had experiences with Jesus. I believed that they had a relationship, but I didn't. And one of the struggles that I had was I just wanted God to do something. Some great miracle, some amazing, and sometimes he does. In fact, at the end of this story, he does. 
More accurately, I wanted God to say something. I wanted there to be an audible voice. I wanted the heavens to open and a light beam to come down and angels to be chorusing in the background. Oh, as the Lord says, Bobby, this is what I have for you. This is your future. This is the decision you want to make right here. I remember trying to choose a college and I was like, Lord, what do I do? And I was just waiting like, go to, you know, like I wouldn't have chose the one that I chose had I been listening to the Lord, but actually that's where I ended up getting saved. And so maybe I would have, but Jesus doesn't usually tell us what we're looking for Jesus to tell us. Jesus doesn't usually answer our questions the way that we want an answer. Sometimes he'll give you a yes or no, but Do a survey of the scriptures and you'll see most of the time, Jesus gives a command. Jesus tells you to obey something. Jesus tells me to obey something. And it's only when I obey that I get to see what God is going to do. He says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But in verse 5... See, I love Peter. You can kind of hear the sigh. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Jesus, you're a pretty good teacher, but I'm the fisherman. Jesus... I see you built a nice table over there as a carpenter. How about you let the fishermen catch the fish and you keep teaching people and making tables and stuff like that? Jesus, we have toiled all night and we caught nothing. I just want to say this to you. To every one of us in this room, and I don't care what category you fall into. I remember Dr. Rutland saying once, that everybody in a church service calls, falls into one of four categories. Non-believer, you know, you're checking it out. New believer, you're new to this Jesus thing and you're excited. Growing believer, you're kind of, you've been walking for a little while and you're still learning. Or mature believer, somebody who's been walking for a very long while. I don't care if you're non-new, growing, or mature in your walk with the Lord. He's giving you a command today. And he's probably been giving it to you for a while. I know he's giving me commands. And I just want to say this. Whatever command he's giving you, like Peter, there will always be reasons not to obey. There will always be excuses that we can make to do things our way instead of his. Because we are by nature selfish and we see things our ways. And if there's one thing that I've learned about myself, if you ask, Bob, what is your greatest weakness? I can tell you I like to be in control. I want to be the one in charge. I want to control my destiny. I want to know what I'm doing. And the whole basis of Christianity is surrender. And that's difficult. That's uncomfortable. I don't want to give my life to somebody else. How do I know? That's why when we're in the scriptures and we see the very nature of who God is, I know that I can trust him, that if I surrender to him, that his perfect will is going to be done. If he made me, he knows what he made me for. And so whatever road he leads me down, even if it's difficult, I know it's the right road. There will always be excuses to do things my way. Reasons not to launch out into the deep. 
One of them would be experience. I've tried that already. Lord, we, we were out there all night and we caught nothing. Some of you will say, I've tried that and it didn't work. I've talked to people, so I tried that Jesus thing. It didn't work. Well, I tried church. For, I can tell you, you started. You started trying that thing. But my guess is, is that there was a point where Jesus gave a command and you said, this is as far as I go. And so it feels like you tried that, but you never actually did. We never crossed that line. Or maybe even more accurately, you tried that, and the Lord said, do this, and you went this far. He says, do this, and you went this far. He said, do this. Nope. At some point, there was a line that was drawn that said, I'm not going to go. And so we say, well, I've experienced that. I tried that, and it didn't work. What else do you got? Another reason not to launch out into the deep would be exhaustion. He was tired. He'd been up all night. Lord, we were up all night. Two nights ago, Friday into Saturday, was our youth group all-nighter. I identify with Peter right now. I'm just not young anymore. Like that shit passed a long time ago. I went to bed last night and I got up and I went back to bed and I woke up at 3.30 in the morning and my head was down at the foot of the bed and my feet were up at the top and I have no idea how that happened. And I didn't really spend any time trying to figure it out. I just rolled over until my alarm went off at like six something and I was like, uh uh-uh, like that's, that we're just not going to have church today, I don't think. This is, I get it, sometimes you are so tired. I know talking with men, you know, we're we're talking about things, family situations, marriages, children, and and the answer is, I'm just so tired of doing, I'm so exhausted. It's been the same thing over and over. And exhaustion, gang, we all know it's an excuse, but man, it feels real, doesn't it? Exhaustion keeps us. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that once said, when fatigue walks in, faith walks out. It's true. When I'm exhausted, when I'm tired, I'm less likely to do the hard things or even the easy things that Jesus is asking me to do. Peter says we were up all night. Effort. Man, these nets are already clean. Not only did we fish all night, but we've been, we've been, the nets, why would I put them back in? I'm going to have to do that all over again. And effort and exhaustion tie in hand in hand. Sometimes our understanding, everybody knows you don't fish during the day. You stick to carpentry and I'll be the fisherman here. Man, I know some really smart people that can't get out of their own way. It's just true. Sometimes my understanding, I'm not saying I'm one of those really smart people, but I know some dumb people that can't get out of their own way too. Sometimes our own understanding, well, that doesn't make sense, so we just don't do it. Listen, if everything God did makes sense, then he isn't God. If I can explain all of it, then he's just something that I created to make me feel better. I hear people say, well, God isn't weird, and I'm like, have you read the Bible? Like, take a look at Ezekiel and see if you, by our standards, some of the things that God is going to say to do, it's going to seem weird. It's going to seem odd. It's going to seem outside of our understanding. That's not an excuse to go and be weird and be odd and blame it on the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is there are going to be times where God says, do this, and you're going to say, huh? Like, why on earth? Isn't that counterproductive? And it gets in the way of obedience. Nevertheless, Lord, in verse 5, nevertheless, 
at your word I will. It was obedience to Jesus' command that leads to what happens next. Peter wanted to make it heard. Hey, I disagree with what you're saying. I just want to get this out there. I just want to put it on the record that I don't really follow this. Nevertheless, it's your word. Guys, it's okay. It's okay to put it on the record with Jesus. Hey, I don't understand this, and I don't even really agree with it. So long as the next thing that you say is, nevertheless, at your word, I will. Some of us, Lord, I don't understand it, and I don't agree with it. And we stand there. You remember Jesus gave a parable of two sons. The father said to one of them, go and do this. And they go, ah, 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 But then eventually he went and did it. The other son, yes, father, right away, father. And then he never did anything. Don't be the second son. Don't be the first one either. Like combine the two. Say, say okay, Lord, and then go do it. He says, nevertheless, it's your word, I will do it. Tolkien said, little by little, one travels far. You want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You want to have a relationship with Jesus. If you want to understand and know God better, is is the people in your life, your parents or the pastors or, or the people that you're surrounded with that know God, talk about their relationship with the Lord and you can see your relationship with the Lord. Or you who have a relationship with the Lord, but maybe it's been stale for a little while. Maybe you've plateaued. Or you who just continue to grow and it's new and it's exciting, you're following through. It doesn't matter where you are in this. Here's the key. As you're taking those steps of obedience, little by little, one travels far. When we obey God in faith, we often see him move, but only after we've obeyed in faith. I heard a pastor say once, faith is often trusting in advance would only make sense in reverse. I can tell you story after story in my life where I was like, really, Lord? Like I just, I get that sense from the Holy Spirit, go there, but I don't want to. But, the, but when I do it, you look back, you're like, oh, what if I'd missed that? Faith is often trusting in advance would only make sense in reverse. Yeah, but if I don't hear God speak, how can I obey him? I can't identify that voice. In your head, you've got different voices. I'm not calling you schizophrenic. I'm just being real. You have your thoughts. Some of them are very normal. Some of them are very weird. Some of you might have even weirder than others. You also have the voice of the Lord. The Bible tells us that he speaks to us, but it's hard to identify because the voices all sound very similar. You also have the voice of the enemy. He's the father of lies, and he's trying to move you away from the Lord's will. So maybe you haven't learned to identify the voice yet. That doesn't mean God's not speaking to you. It just means you haven't figured out how to hear him. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. You'll learn his voice. But how do you get there? Comes back to the start. Comes back to his word. When I start to see him in here, then I start to identify better. Then I start to see him out here. When I see what he did here and then I see how that worked, I say, oh, that's the will of God. Oh, there it is. Wait a second. Okay, I read that verse this morning and that applies to this situation this way. Man, the God that we love is going to move us forward in him. If you do the known will of God today, He'll reveal his unknown will tomorrow. That's like my all-time favorite Jeannie Mayo quote. 
If you do the known will of God today, he'll reveal his unknown will tomorrow. For instance, if you're at an all-nighter with a bunch of teenagers, just remember what the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, right? Like, and if I do, if I do the, some of them are easy. Just don't, don't kill that guy. Like, oh, I can do that, you know? Don't tell lies. Like, tell the truth. You start doing the simple ones. You start obeying the easy ones. Wait, what does it mean to have no other gods before me? That means that I need to obey no matter what. That even if the instruction doesn't make sense, I'm going to do it. But I don't want to. It's going to be humiliating. It's going to be uncomfortable nevertheless at your word I will do it and so the Lord says that that love the Lord with all your heart soul mind and strength I don't want to get up early and spend time with the Lord I want to stay in bed I was facing the wrong way in the bed last night do you know how tired I am nevertheless at your word I'll do it when I do the known will of God today okay honor your parents there's no age limit on that one Honor your parents. Honor them. Obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your parents always. That's a hard thing to figure out, especially as you get older. How do I honor? But that's the known will of God. But isn't God also, isn't the Holy Spirit our helper? Lord, I don't, I don't really know how to do that. I want to obey you. I don't know. Well, then tell him. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Father, and he will give liberally and without reproach. And it's amazing how as I do the known will of God today, what's the known will of God today? Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Those are easy. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, right? Don't envy, Uh uh-oh. All right, some of them are harder. Honor the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So when you do the known will of God today, he'll reveal his unknown will tomorrow. The Bible will not tell you what college to go to or who to marry or where you're going to live. But I promise it will give you some of the things that you shouldn't do. And it's amazing how if you obey the subtlety of the things that you should do, how you find it out. I remember an old pastor, my pastor Ray, over at Koinonia. I had some huge decisions to make once, and I went up to him, and I just said, Pastor Ray, there was always a time of prayer afterwards. I said, Pastor Ray, I need to know. I got this, 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 and this. Like, can you give me some wisdom on this, and would you pray for me? And, and Ray said this. He goes, he goes, Bobby. Actually, I think he called me Robert. He's one of the only, like, two people in the world that call me Robert. Robert. He said, I found if you take care of the little things with God, the big things take care of themselves. And I remember him praying for me and me walking away like, that was lame. Like, come on, man. Give me, give me some wisdom as to, I needed an answer, not a fortune cookie, man. Like, come on. And, <laughs> and I could tell you now with some years under my belt, and with, that is maybe the best advice I ever got in my life. If you take care of the little things, the big things take care of themselves. If I'm walking with the Lord moment by moment with the Holy Spirit, the big things take care of themselves. It doesn't say in the scripture, where to go to college, but I learned through the scripture how to walk in the spirit, how to hear from God, and the Lord will let me know what I should and shouldn't do. Even the things that aren't spelled out in black and white, you learn to hear that still small voice, but it only happens when I step out in obedience. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. 
There was a story in the book of Judges on a man named Gideon. And Gideon, the Midianites are coming in, right? And they, they're bad news. And what these guys would do is they would, they would wait for Israel to do all of the work and they would grow all of the crops and they would do all the harvest work. They would do all of the work, but the Midianites were too many for the Israelites and so they would just overrun them and take all the food. And like, thanks for doing this, see ya. And so Gideon was threshing wheat down in a wine press. You're supposed to do that up on the mountaintop where the wind blows and it can get all the chaff, all the stuff that you don't want in your grain. It gets it out of the way. It blows away in the wind. Gideon's down at the bottom, right, where there's no wind and he's working hard and the stuff's falling over. It's probably sticking to the back of his neck. He's probably frustrated, a little hangry. You know, he's... And, and Jesus shows up in the Old Testament and he says to him, Gideon... You mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. That's Judges chapter 6, verse 12. And here's Gideon covered in sweat and grain and chaff. And he looks at this guy who he doesn't know is God at the time. And here's Gideon's response. Tell me if this sounds familiar because I've been there. Oh, my Lord. Well, that's polite. If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? If God is here and God is good, then explain all this. And where are all of his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites? A few minutes later, Gideon's terrified for his life because he realized who he was talking to. Gideon was doing what we do on Twitter and Facebook. Like, you're real big and bold in what you say when you're not face-to-face with somebody, you know? But then he finds out it's the Lord. He's like, ha, <laughs> The Lord's like, you're all right. But Gideon has these questions. If God is so good, why has that happened? If God is here, then where are the miracles that we used to have? Why is this going on in my life? Jesus... This loving Jesus that we have these felt pictures of for children where Jesus is here with the blue sash and the white. Jesus, the one who we sing songs about, does not say something, oh, Gideon, don't you know that I'm the Lord? Let me reveal myself to you in this way. It's going to be okay, Gideon, and just rub his hair a little bit. And It's what I want Jesus to do. It's how... The Jesus that I design would do things. But I didn't design Jesus. Jesus doesn't answer him at all. Jesus doesn't answer a single one of Gideon's questions. Go check it out for yourself in Judges chapter 6 and 7. Not right now. Wait till after the service. Jesus gives him a command. And then another and then another. He says, Gideon, you're going to call an army of the Lord. <laughs> he is like, what? I'm like in the smallest family of the smallest clan. And I'm the least in it. Like what? He says, no, you're going to call the armies of Israel. But first, there's stuff that doesn't belong here. In your father's house, there's this altar to Baal. You're going to go and destroy that. Go destroy the altar of Baal, and then we'll talk. And so Gideon goes, and he's terrified, so he does it at night. Gets a couple of servants to come with him. They do it at night. They obey the Lord. The next morning, everybody wants to kill him. I can relate. Sometimes when you're doing the will of the Lord, people aren't happy. Gideon's dad steps up and says, whoa, if Baal is such a powerful God, let him deal with it. Let's see what happens. 
Gideon, after obeying the Lord, is spared from his own people. And the Lord says, then call an army. So Gideon summons the army. God says, you have too many. Thin them out. Tell them if anybody wants to go home, they can go home. Gideon says, all right, if anybody's afraid, you can leave. And most of the army just walks away. Now, there's hundreds of thousands of Midianites. There's tens of thousands of Israelites. And they're all gone. And Gideon's like, all right, Lord, I listen. We're all going to die. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're doing here. And the Lord says, no, no, you still, you still have too many. Send them down to drink. Send them down to this river. Have them take a drink. And so they go down to the river. And he says, anybody that brings the water up, keep them. Anybody that just sticks their head in the water, go ahead and send them home. Now, I used to hear this taught that it was because the Lord was looking for the most vigilant, the most noble, the most trustworthy of soldiers, the ones with the eagle eyes that are out there. I don't believe that's true based on the story. Jesus didn't want an elite fighting force. He wanted a bunch of ragtag guys so that God would get the credit for the victory. I think these were the ones who were like me. They're like either too fat or too old to like get their head down in. And so, you know, they're just trying to like, they're just getting some water anyway. They can't, whatever the reason is, Gideon sends them home. There's 300 guys are all that's left to fight this entire army. And the Lord says, now we can do business. And so Gideon goes back to the Lord and the Lord gives him another command. He says, you're gonna go out into battle, but if you're afraid, take somebody with you, go down here, I want you to hear something. And so Gideon, he's still afraid, so he grabs his buddy and they go sneaking down, all stealth-like, to the camp where it is. It's nighttime, there's a river there, there's the tents of the Midianites and they're like hiding in some bushes. And they hear two Midianites talking and one of them says, yeah, I had this dream last night where like our tents were all up and this little barley roll rolled down the hill and bumped into a tent and the whole tent flattened and was gone. And his buddy says to him, he goes, oh, that's a, what that is, is the, that's Gideon and his armies. Israel's going to beat us tomorrow. And Gideon and his buddy, they're like, what's up? And they go running back and they get everybody and they get their, their, they listen to the Lord. He says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take a, a earthen vessel, a clay pot. You're going to take a torch, light it, put it in the clay pot. You're going to take your, your swords. You're going to take your trumpets. And when I say you're going to get out on the hills and when I give the command, you're all going to smash your pots and raise your torches and blow your trumpets. Yes, and? No, that's it. (laughs) So Gideon does it. And they smash their pots and they blow their trumpets and raise their torches. And they shout something very interesting. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It's a partnership. And the Midianites hear the trumpets and see the torches and they wake up and and they're tired confusion. They just start swinging swords at anybody who's nearby. They took themselves out and they ran off and Gideon pursued them. When Gideon was in the wine press and saying, where is God and why has this happened and where are all the miracles if he's so great? Jesus didn't say, here I am, just trust me. Jesus said, go do this. And when Gideon did it, Jesus still didn't say, here I am, just trust me. He just proved himself trustworthy when he protected Gideon. And so Gideon did the next thing. He said, go do this. And when he was done with that, God didn't even say, here I am, just trust me. He just said, no, it's not enough. Go do this. Now go do this. Now go do this. 
And as Gideon obeyed the commandments of the Lord, he got to understand who the Lord was better. He understood that his protection came from the Lord. He understood that his salvation came from the Lord. And it was only in his obedience to God's commandments that he saw the Lord do a great miracle. But when he trusted himself, and at the end of his life he did, it didn't go as well. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon were in a partnership. First Chronicles one twenty seven. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. If he explains it all to you, you won't see him in the same way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. What that means is just like those clay pots that Gideon had, you're like a clay pot. And the Lord says, I'm going to dwell in you. And that's all you need. Just trust me. My presence should be enough. And so Simon lets down his nets for the catch. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, it's your word. And he lets down his nets. And they caught so many fish that the boats started to sink. The pinnacle of the fishing profession. Some of you fish are no fishermen. What do they like talking about? It's all about that big catch, isn't it? And yet, how does Simon Peter react? In verse 8, when they'd caught the fish, it says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon started the boat journey by saying, I think I know better than you, Lord. And in his obedience, he saw, whoops. He recognized, I have no business being with you. I shouldn't be where you are. Simon went into his conversation with Jesus, boasting of his works and his knowledge and his profession. And after just a few minutes with Jesus, was falling at his knees, talking about, No, these are my weaknesses. These are my flaws. Please leave. I shouldn't be near you. No, you don't understand, Jesus. I'm going to corrupt you. He's still telling Jesus what to do. That takes time. He'll come around. Myth. When we see our faults and flaws, we think Jesus is going to yell at us about it. Reality. In scripture over and over, Jesus spends time with people. When they're around him, they want to be different. They want to be better. And he helps them. Reality? When I'm not around Jesus, I'm worried about what he's going to take away if I go to him. Reality. 
The more time I spend with Jesus, the more I want his help taking those same things away. The things that I wanted to hold on to because I realize the veils come off and you can see more clearly. Oh, there's so much more out there. There's so much more. Peter's experience with Jesus could have been, yeah, he was in my boat once and he taught. Instead, he becomes the next one to lead the church. He's the one who has this great revelation. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But it started with a simple act of obeying Jesus. And so Jesus said to Simon in verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. I have a job for you, Peter. I know what you were built for, Peter. I can help you find your purpose, Peter. To my friends here who are drifting a little bit, life is cloudy. This way seems right. These people are upset about that. This way feels right, but also I know certain things that aren't. Man, what a miserable place to be. God won't just lift the fog. Not always. But when it says, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I can tell you as many times as I need to come into the sanctuary when the lights are out in here to set something up or to find something that I left in here. This is not a super bright light that's on the back of my phone. It doesn't illuminate the whole sanctuary at once to where I can see everything clearly. But when I'm wondering if I'm going to trip over a poinsettia or accidentally crush Grace's violin or something like that, it is nice to see where I need to step safely next. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The God we love has given you the light you need for the next step. And he promises to walk with you step after step after step. He's the God who leads us into righteousness. He's the God who brings understanding. He's the God we love. And we don't love him because we have to. We love him because he's revealed himself to us. And the more I'm with him, the more I want you to love him. Not because I get paid commission. Oh, another one got saved? That's, a, that's not how it works. I don't get any bonuses based on how many seats are in the pews. No. I know how good Jesus is. I want you to know how good Jesus is. I've walked with him for a while, and I can tell you it's better. Not always easier. If I'm being real, it's not short-term easy. But few things worth doing rarely are. The easy and the short-term usually leads to long-term pain. I'm going to conclude here. It says, when they brought their boats to land... They forsook all and followed him. At the pinnacle of their profession, they left it all behind. They left everything, lost nothing, and gained everything. Let me say that to you again. They left everything, lost nothing, and gained everything. Jim Elliott, famous missionary had that great quote, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep 
to gain that which you cannot lose. Think about what was important to you five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Think about the best Christmas gift. It's all in landfills now, isn't it? Like it doesn't last. You can't keep it. So they left it all behind and followed him. The number one challenge I think people have in experiencing God is their own fear. What if he doesn't show up? What if nothing happens? What will I have to give up? What will he make me do? I can't answer that for you. That's between you and Jesus. But I can encourage you, launch out. Launch out. Give him a chance to answer that question. Give him a real chance to answer that question. Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It can't be half-hearted. Peter couldn't a little bit launch out into the deep. Peter couldn't be launched out in the deep and standing on the shore. It's all or nothing. And if you're trying to, well, I'm trying to, there's a little bit of both. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. You're just not doing it. I'm just not doing it. I can tell you in my life, where was the Lord? So many people ask me, hey, I'm not hearing the voice of the Lord. What, What should I do? My question is always, it always starts with, well, how's your prayer life? How's your time in the word? Because that's when he does most talking. And when the answer is it's good, whether they're lying to me or not, the next question is always, did you do the last thing that he told you to do? Were you obedient? Or did you say, I'll walk this far and this far, but not there, and so I'm going to divert, and then I wonder, where is it? He's right where you left him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. the same Jesus, the God who we love, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Often in the form of a command. Do this, drop this. Go. When you're walking with Jesus, step by step, day by day, he will lead you in the way everlasting. I don't know where he's going to take you, but I know it's better than where you are right now. How can you know that? Because I, because life years because I I watch and I see he's so good you won't regret it I promise you so I'm going to ask if we could all stand we're going to sing this song together The purpose of worship is to draw us, or praise and worship, is to draw us into the presence of God. It's it's a moment to reflect and to take these words that maybe we wouldn't have thought on our own and say, yes, these, this, this is, yes, this. Every single person in this room is at a different point, and you're getting a different command. Some of you, it's the first one ever. Jesus is saying the same thing to you that he said to Peter later on, follow me. And they forsook all and followed him. 
He said it to Peter. He said it to Matthew. He said it. He said it. That's what he said to people. Follow me. Follow me. First thing Jesus ever says to you is going to be a command. He says, follow me. And as you follow him, you'll get to see. Some of you have been following for a while. Ooh, but you're at a fork in the Lord that's hard. Forgiveness. Confession. Follow me. Trust me. The altars are free if you want to spend some time with the Lord. So is the pew right where you are. We're going to play this song in its entirety just to give you a little bit of time with Jesus. But I want to encourage you as you leave here today, don't leave here in the same place you came in. Follow him. What's the commandment of the Lord? Launch out. Trust me. Follow me. I promise you won't regret it.